11, and I'll get there in just a minute. My habit each day is to get up, that's a good thing, <clears throat> to get up each day, to make coffee, and then spend some time reading my Bible. Amen. That is not a spiritual statement, that's a needy statement. I have to do that. A few weeks ago, I was reading, I was in 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and I kept running across a very consistent phrase. I saw it over and over. And I began to think about it. I mused on that phrase. Why is God putting this phrase in the Bible over and over and over again? I want to talk about that. I will have an extended introduction tonight. And then I'm going to have a very short and very succinct point that concludes. So hang with me as I get to that main succinct point. My, uh, <laughs> I wish Kim was here tonight. She would really appreciate this. My grandmother loved to talk. And no jokes about her grandson as well. She loved to talk. She would often tell me stories of yesteryear. I loved, as a kid, I loved listening to those stories. One story that she repeated all the time was a story and a warning that she gave to my father and his brothers about the wild kids on the next street. She told me that story constantly. I think I understand why now she was wanting me to watch out for wild and crazy folks. But she relayed that I told your dad and your uncles this story at least once a week. She would tell her boys, do not, do not hang around with the Tiller boys. That's a dangerous bunch, and they are going to get you in trouble. You know, we have many negative examples in this world that if we listen to those examples, we heed the examples, we will learn from them. It's been said that, that all men are my teachers, and I believe that. I, I like looking at many different folks and learning from everybody, and you may be one that I'm looking at and learning from. That's a scary thought, but I, you are. Once, uh, Philip, some of you don't know him, he's my youngest child, saw Gerald, my oldest son, getting in trouble, and I was spanking him. I was probably wearing his tail out. I'm pretty sure I was. And Philip was watching. He saw what was unfolding, and he grabbed his mother's skirt, and he says, I better not do that, huh, Mom? Yeah, that's exactly right. You better not do it. <clears throat> Let's look at, at 1 Kings chapter 11. There was a man in the Bible, before I get there, there was a man in the Bible who was perceived by many, including King Solomon, as having great potential. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse number 28 Look at that, if you would, please. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. Notice that word, valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious. He was a man of valor. He was industrious. He, Solomon, made him ruler over all the charge of 
of the house of Joseph. This Jeroboam, men saw great potential in him. He was a man that was hardworking. The Bible says he was industrious. He was a man that was a leader. Solomon made him a ruler over the house of Joseph. And he was a man that was brave. The Bible says he was a man, a, a man of great valor. Understand that Jeroboam was not, he was not the son of Solomon. Rehoboam was. Keep going in, in verse number 29 there. I want you to see this. And it came to pass at, the time, at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way and he had clayed him with a new garment and they too were alone in the field. And Ahijah caught the new garment that was on him and rent it in 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take thee 10 pieces for thus saith the Lord, uh, the, the God of Israel, behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to thee. God Almighty had a plan for Jeroboam. We've all, all heard many bad things about Jeroboam, but initially God had a great plan for Jeroboam. He was going to rule ten of the tribes because of the sin of Solomon. The wisest God that ever lived had messed up. I look at, turn to the first verse of, of chapter 11. I want you to see what Solomon did to mess up. But Solomon, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, but King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonites, and the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, uh, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wife, his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, the wisest men that ever lived. His heart was turned away after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon, for Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonites, and after Malcolm, the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David, his father. God was going to rend, take away the kingdom most uh, from Solomon's heirs, all but, but a, a couple of tribes. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, I will mention that in just a minute. God wanted to use Jeroboam. So what happened to Jeroboam? What in the world? God had a plan for his life. He was going to give him 10 of the tribes of Israel. What in the world happened to Jeroboam? Did he rule ultimately like God said he was going to? Did he? Yes, he did. He did rule. Did he rule in the manner as God intended him to rule? No, he did not. He did not. Like many of us, like me, like you, when we come to that fork in the road, when decisions of right and wrong need to be made, like Jeroboam, we often take matters into our own hands. We chart our own course, often looking to the world and our intellect for guidance. So trouble came to Jeroboam because he did just that. 
look at uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 40. And I'm going someplace with this, so hang with me if you would. Verse 40. Because of all this, because Solomon knew that the kingdom was being taken from his hand, that it was no longer going to be in Solomon's heirs, all 12 tribes. Verse 40. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt unto Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. He fled when troubles came. He fled into Egypt. And as every Bible scholar knows, Egypt is a sign of the world. He fled into the world when trouble came. He began listening to the world's philosophy. His life spun out of control. He was going in the wrong direction. This is the guy that God wanted to use to lead the 10 tribes. When he, re he returned to e to, from Egypt after Solomon's death, but he continued making the decisions of life that he wanted for himself. He was determined and learned in Egypt that he was going to live exactly the way that he wanted to live. He was going to decide in his life what was right and what was wrong. This is not a lesson tonight about Jeroboam, but it's a lesson about what God thinks about Jeroboam. <clears throat> After these events, I'm going to show you what God said over and over and over and over about Jeroboam. As I was reading in my morning Bible reading, I saw this phrase, and later on I saw it. The next day I saw it again. The next day, for about a week I saw it, and I really started thinking, what is God saying about Jeroboam? Look at 1 Kings chapter 14. We're going to read a lot of verses that are all that are in sequence, but, but skipping some verses. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 14. Moreover, the Lord shall rise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. Look at verse 16 of chapter 14. And he shall give up Israel because of the sins of Jeroboam, who did sin and who made Israel to sin. Look at chapter 15 and verse 30. Because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he sinned, and which he made Israel to sin by his provocation, wherewith he provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger. Look at verse 34 of chapter 15. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, where he made Israel to sin. Look at chapter 16 and verse number 2. Halfway through the verse, it says, And thou hast walked in the way of Jeroboam, and hast made my people Israel to sin, to provoke me to anger with their sins. Look at verse 7 of chapter 16, halfway through the verse. Even for all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, in provoking him to anger with the works of his hands, in being like the house of Jeroboam. Look at verse number 19 of chapter 16. For his sins, which he sinned in doing evil in the sight of the Lord, in walking in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, which he did to make Israel to sin. Verse 26. For he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, 
And in his sins, wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Verse 31, and it came to pass as it had been a like thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. First uh, Kings chapter 21, verse 22, if you would go there. And I will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. Chapter 22 and verse 52. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father, in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 3. Nevertheless, he clave unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 29. Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not after them to with the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. By the way, uh, uh, Jeroboam is the one that made those, those uh, golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. And I could go on and on and on and on. Dozens of more examples where God says, you're living just like Jeroboam, making people to sin. In second, you don't turn there. Second Kings 13.2 has that. Second Kings 13.6. Second Kings 13.11. Second Kings 14.24. Second Kings 15.9. Second Kings 15.18. Second Kings 15.24. Second Kings 15.28. Second Kings 17.22. Second Kings 23.4. 15 and on and on and on what in the world is the Lord trying to tell us over and over and over he says watch out for that guy and living like that guy Jeroboam why does God warn us over and over and over again about that sin Jerry David Donald Hopper do not do not hang around with those tiller boys you will get in trouble. Uh, there was a reporter from the Memphis Flyer, and you may not know what that magazine is. It's a small magazine in Memphis. He wrote this article. He said in, in March 2004, he said Dago was the name of Charles Tiller, a convict from Memphis who died two weeks ago. This was in March of 2004. Who died two weeks ago at a hospital in Nashville. He had been hit on the head with a baseball bat by some other prisoners almost 10 years ago and had never recovered. This was rough, poetic justice in that he had done the same thing to others throughout the year. Charles Tiller was an icon in Memphis and in the 1950s, a very good athlete, a good student at Christian Brothers High School who became a legendary tough guy with a mug, a stare, and a set of biceps that would scare anyone. The reporter continues, I got interested in Tiller and his notorious brothers and cousins and decided to write a story about him. The more I learned about him, the more interested I became. There were plenty of people around who remembered him and knew him well. Remarkably, the policeman that arrested him, 
the prosecutor who sent him to prison, and the doctor who was his lifelong friend and defender had all gone to Christian Brothers High School at the same time, and three of them played baseball together. Four friends, four different paths. Tiller, by the way, played AAA professional baseball, very good athlete. And like they say, the, the writer says, you can't make this stuff up. What a story. The crime that finally sent him to prison for good was a double murder of his ex-girlfriend and her boyfriend, a tough guy from Atlanta, who made the mistake of betting the house and his life against Dago Tiller. Jerry, Donald, David, stay away from those Tiller boys. You'll get in trouble. God has done the same thing with us in the life of Jeroboam warning over and over against running with the likes of Jeroboam. But I have a question. What were the sins of Jeroboam? I think there were many. I think he had many sins. Look at, at 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, let's, let's read 4 or 5 verses, beginning at verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He was worried about losing the ten tribes here. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn against their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam order, ordained a feast in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like, notice that phrase, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised in his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel and offered upon the altar and burnt incense. This guy had many sins. I believe this, what we just read, is what caused God to uh, the, the warnings, the many warnings that we had of God. He set up a house of sacrifice in Bethel and Dan when God said in Jerusalem at the tabernacle is where sacrifices were to happen. He went against God. He made idols of two calves, and God said that is idolatry. He ordained, th this, is, this is why we have to be careful about what God says. He ordained a feast for the eighth month and the 15th day. But if you look in Leviticus chapter 23 and chapter 24, this feast that they're talking about, God said that that feast should happen on the seventh month, on the 15th day. He felt he could change what God Almighty had ordained. He did all this, 1 Kings 12, 33 says, which he devised of his own heart. He decided, he decided what he 
was going to do. You may say, Jeff, what does it matter? The seventh month, the 18 month, 18, uh, eighth month, they're still worshiping God. It matters because God said the seventh month. You may say, what does it matter where he sets up houses of sacrifice? They're still sacrificing. It matters because are we going to listen to him or are we going to listen to us? Jeroboam was listening to himself. I believe all of Jeroboam's sins boils down to one sin. It boils down to the matter of the heart. Who is he going to worship? God or himself? Jeroboam made the decision to worship himself. What is worship? What is worship? Uh, we could look deeply at the Hebrew and Greek, and I won't take a lot of time to do that, but let me just say this. The Hebrew word shaka is worship. Here's what it is. To depress. To be, pro I always have to be careful with this word. To be prostrate. <laughs> I have to be very careful when I, when I say that one. To bow down. To crouch. To lay down flat. We're talking about worship now. Which, which I believe was the sin of Jeroboam. He was worshiping self and not God. Worship is to lay down flat in the Hebrew, to humbly beseech. Worship is not this. That is not worship. The Greek, and I will not even try to pronounce this Greek word, but it means this. Worship means to, to kiss like a dog licks its master's hand. That's what worship means. It, it, it carries this idea. It carries with it the idea of falling down to kiss the ground before the king walks on the ground. That is worship. Worship is a frame of heart. It's an attitude. It's correctly positioning yourself. Our actions reveal a, a heart of worship or lack thereof. Worship must be fixed in the heart and mind. <clears throat> I want to read this statement because I think it's important. The act of worship is an act of proceeding from the attitude which causes obedience to God. To obey is better than sacrifice. What is our attitude of worship towards God? Knowing that worship is not swaying, it's humbling yourself. What drives you and I in our relationship with God. What is the essence? What is the essence of our life? It's over so quickly. What are we doing with that? Are we worshiping him? Are we worshiping him with our lives? What are our acts of worship? Are we doing that? Or are we living 
like Jeroboam for self, doing what I want to do, me making the decisions of right and wrong in my life. Here's the point of the lesson, and I'll, I'll be through in five minutes. This is the whole point. All that was introduction. I'll quickly and succinctly get to the point. Here's the point. Does our heart desire God to direct our lives to worship him in every aspect of our life? And do our actions reveal it in these areas? Do our actions reveal it in the person that we date? In the person we decide to marry? In the school we go to? In the work that we do in life? The job that we have? How we perform our jobs? How we interact with others? How and when we interact with him? Is it revealed in the things that we say to others? We're talking about true worship of God. Is it revealed in the things that we say to others, in the things that we think about ourselves, our pride versus humility, the things that we do for others, the things that we do for ourselves, the things that we look at in life, the books that we read in life, the books that we don't read in life, the places that we go, the places that we don't go. These are all opportunities to worship him. The things that we eat or drink in life, the focus of our life. It is, is it revealed in our disdain for sin and the world system, or does it show in our love for the world? Is it revealed in our desire for personal righteousness or the desire to address my sin for him? I want to worship him by addressing my sin and praying for the sins of others and not talk about the sins of others? Is it revealed in how I handle his money that he has allowed me to be a steward over? Do I give to others as a form of worship to him? Do I sacrifice my desires of self for him? Do I submit to him or do I self-promote? Do I seek him? That is worship. This is what worship is all about. And we can do it every day in the normal courses of our life. In the things that we would do in school or at work, we can worship him by doing what is right. Amen. Have we failed to heed the warnings of the sin of Jeroboam? Have we? Jerry, David, Donald, Watch out for those tiller boys. You'll get in trouble. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Amen. I'll conclude with two words. Worship God. Brother Bob. 